Well, good morning. Priest, thank you for that worship. How's everybody doing? We good? Yawning? Not yawning? Okay. Well, we're going to jump right into it because I want to stick to a plan I have, schedule, timing and notes and Bible verses. So we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 7. Uh, if you didn't grab the, the verses that I printed out, grab them on your way out. I think it's going to be important to read through this uh, later on throughout the week or later on today. If you're just sitting around with your Bible in your lap, it'd be a good opportunity to get through some Scripture. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 7. We're getting somewhat close to, to finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, this three-chapter sermon that Jesus preached and uh, I think we hit the apex last week, and now we're, we're kind of quickly going to descend. And, and one of the things that Jesus says after, he says, enter by the narrow gate, uh, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. He's is encouraging his followers to really focus on uh, the truth and after he says that, he gives us a warning. We have this command about ask and knock, judge not, ask and knock and, you, and seek and you'll find whatever you wish that others would do to you, do unto them, enter by the narrow gate. And then he says, beware, we're going to talk about one verse today, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. If you go back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind, we see the introduction of false teaching. Adam and Eve in the garden, and the serpent deceives, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1-4, through 4, it says that the serpent deceived her, and she ate, did God really say there's a deceptive teaching by the serpent to question what God had originally spoken to Eve and Adam? And that's the, the origin of false teaching, and it just continues on. And as I look at Adam and Eve, and I think, put yourself in their shoes, what would it be like to be walking in the garden with God? I mean, they're free-minded, they're, they're, everything is perfect, everything is wonderful, they love each other, there's no deception, there's no lying, and then temptation comes, deception comes, lies come, false teaching comes, and they fall to it. But imagine walking with God in that situation. And if, if they, who walked with God, could be deceived by false teaching, why couldn't we? I mean, imagine walking with God and having the opportunity or the temptation in front of you and falling to it. If that could happen to them, why couldn't it happen to us? In fact, we're going to look at some scriptures, and the question you should be asking is, I wonder if Nate is a false teacher. I wonder if he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. That sounds weird for someone to be sit up here and say, you should watch out. But if Paul says it, and we're going to look at here in a little bit, 
If Paul says it with tears to watch out, then I believe it's your responsibility to make sure whoever's preaching from the pulpit is teaching according to the Word of God in context, rather than just falling blindly without any sort of mental exercise. So if I'm, I'm this preacher and I get up here and I say, you know, a lot in my thinking has changed over the years. I've been a Christian for 20 years, and I don't believe, uh, I'm not a literalist anymore. I'm not a literalist. I don't believe that every jot and tittle is from the Lord. If I were to say that from the pulpit, would you look at me as someone that just taught an erroneous doctrine? Yes? I don't believe that every jot and tittle is from the Lord. I used to, but I don't anymore. You would think that I am an erroneous teacher. Why would you think that? And I'm going to answer the question. It's because the Bible says in and of itself that all Scripture is God-breathed. It says all Scripture is God-breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's what the Bible says of itself. And so if I were up here as a man created in God's image, created by God, but not God, said, you know what, I don't believe all Scripture is God-breathed. I don't believe every jot and tittle is from the Lord. You would consider me a false teacher. I'm not going to name names today. I'm not going to name religions today. I'm going to stick with only what the text says. But I can tell you, one of the most famous evangelists in the history of the world said, I am not a literalist in what I used to be. I do not believe that every jot and tittle is from the Lord. My thinking has changed over the years, unquote. And so, my, my point being that we have got to, at some point in our Christian walk, stop believing and thinking and in, 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 in basing our, our doctrine off of mankind. We can't base it off of a human up there preaching. We have to base it on what the Word says. The word false, prophet, and false, it simply means untrue, erroneous, deceitful, or wicked. False prophet means false combined with prophet, meaning a spurious apostle, and this is in the context of Scripture, a pretended preacher, a false teacher, an erroneous preacher. Now, as we get through this subject, when Jesus says, beware of false prophets, some people, believers, are somewhat indignant or they're sensitive to the fact that somebody like myself or any other preacher can get up and start calling out other doctrines or calling out other teachings or calling out other churches. And in this study, I was, of course, Googling what are the top false teachings in America today? Who are the top false preachers in America today? And there's like the top 15. If you Google the top 15, there's all these names that come up and why they believe what they're teaching is false. But again, we're not going to do that today because I think the Bible speaks in and of itself against it. So a little quiz, okay? How many books are there in the New Testament, or letters or epistles? 27, good, very good. Way to take the easy ones, all right. 27. Of the 27, how many of those 27 books teach or warn against deception and false teaching? Raise your hand if you think it's less than 10. More than 10. Raise your hand if you heard me ask the question. Five of you. All right. More than 20. 
Okay, 24 of the 27 books or letters or gospels warn against false teaching. 24 of 27. First, or, uh, First Thessalonians alludes to it, which would make it 25 of 27, but it's not completely like out in your face, and so I just I'm going to exclude I'm going to exclude uh, Second Thessalonians, or I'm sorry, First Thessalonians, uh, Philemon, and the third letter of John are the three that aren't just in your face, warning against deception, warning against false teaching. Sometimes it was cultural, like Galatians is talking about the cultural false teaching of people that say you have to follow the law of Moses. The book of Acts is the same. Some are something they're dealing with personally right then. Others are just very broad statement. Watch out. So, 88% of the books, if you don't count 1 Thessalonians, it would be over 90%, but let's not count 1 Thessalonians. 88% of the books in the New Testament warn against false teaching. So I think it's a subject, and the very fact that Jesus says, beware of false prophets, I think it's a subject that we should look into, that we should study, we should understand it, so that you can sit there with your children and go, uh... We're not going back there. We're not going to listen to that guy again. That guy is off his rocker. He's not teaching truth. He's, he's got his own agenda. Okay? And that should be across the board of any church. It's how you should feel to protect yourself and protect your family. And to encourage me, if I say something, you go, well, that's not true. Well, let's sit down and study. Help me understand why. Because I don't want to ever say that again, and I'll recant my statement. That should be our mindset when it comes to Christianity and false teaching. So... The question always arises, why? Why would somebody teach false doctrine? Why would, in Titus chapter 1, one of the qualifications of an elder is that he has the ability to refute those who oppose sound doctrine. He's able to understand and listen to what the preacher is saying. He's under, able to understand what somebody else is teaching and say, no, what you're saying is wrong. It's a must qualification. It's not a recommendation. It's a requirement of an elder to be able to do that. Why is it in Acts chapter 20 that the Apostle Paul was warning the people that he was never going to see again? He said, this is the last time I'm going to see it. And he warned them with tears. Night and day, he says, he warned them with tears. I think it says for three years. We're going to look at it later. Night and day, he warned them about false teaching. There's a reason why that's in there, and so the question that we've got to ask is, why would anyone teach a false, an untrue, or a corrupted doctrine? And I'm not going to name this church teaches this, and this, doctor, or this doctrine is this, or this preacher teaches this. It doesn't matter. What matters is, why? Why is it out there? And there's five reasons that I've discovered in the Bible. There was four as of last week, and then I read into it more, and I'm like, oh, no, that's a fifth. That makes sense. And the, four, the fifth one that I discovered... Uh, it's not really against the false teacher, against the pe it's against the people listening. But that's a whole, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that. The first one, this may not surprise you, this may surprise you. The first reason for false teaching is money. Money. People teach a false doctrine, an untrue, a corrupted doctrine because of money. On your list, you have a passage. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at two passages. And the reason I want to look at these passages is so I'm not just making this up. I want you to see it with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verses 3, we'll go. 
We'll start with three. 1 Timothy 6.3 says, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, the word sound means uncorrupted, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now it's referencing, in the NIV it'll say that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now that's a little bit ambiguous when it comes to that, but if you go over to 2 Peter, flip over a couple pages, and go to 2 Peter, after James, 2 Peter chapter... 2, verse 1 says, but false, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So when Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets, Peter references false teachers. That word false teacher is in reference to a Christian teacher that's teaching an erroneous doctrine. But false prophets also arose among the people, talking about Old Testament, but just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive, destructive heresies, even denying the master who, brought them, who bought them, sorry, bringing them upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow with sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep." And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. That word greed is avarice or covetousness in some translations, meaning extreme greed for wealth and material things. Now, again, no sense in naming names, but when we look at the health and wealth gospel, when we look at the money gospel, we can see that some people teach and they preach in order to draw a, a very big fat paycheck and they're going to tell you certain things that are going to make you feel good so that they can line their pockets. I'm not going to point names out because it doesn't matter, but if you're not agreeing with me, you're not paying attention. There are people that preach and teach for the sole purpose of making money. It's greed. It's, it's, it's I want physical manifestation of my spirituality, and I think that it's a means to financial gain. So that's the first reason why false teaching exists is for money. Another reason why false teaching exists is I referenced it in Acts chapter 20 where the Apostle Paul was going to the Ephesian elders. And in, if you go to Acts chapter 20, we won't read the entire text, but we'll read towards the kind of the latter part of it. So start in Acts 20 verse, oh, where do we want to start? Acts 20, 17 says he went to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, Paul said this. So we'll start in verse 18. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 18. He says, you yourselves ought to know. I keep going back to the NIV translation. I'm reading out of the ESV, so bear with me. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house. 
testifying both to Jews and to the Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know this is so important because Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church. And he says, Now, I, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. This is the last time you're going to see me. What I'm about to tell you is very important. I'm going to Alaska. I'm going to San Diego next weekend for a wedding, and the weekend after that, I'll be in Alaska. And I'm going to be chasing moose. And there's going to be bears up there. And I might die. I might get eaten by a bear. bear, Or a bear. A bear. This is the last time you're going to see me. What I have to say to you is very, very important. This is it. This is what Paul is telling them. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to get arrested. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to be put under persecution, under trial. Therefore, what I'm telling you is very important. And he goes on to say, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold back the truth. I told you everything possible that was true. The whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Be on the lookout. Be careful. God has put you in a place of leadership, of overseeing, of bishops, of elders to protect the church. And then he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Is he talking about actual canines? No, he's talking about false teachers. Watch out, they're like wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, after I leave, fierce wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, right then, there you go. He's saying, even from your own number, even among your own selves, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The NIV says they will distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. This was written in less than 180, like 70 AD, I think. I'm, I'm just going off memory here. So this was written almost 2,000 years, 1,950 years ago. And Paul is saying, Watch out, even some of you guys are going to distort the truth in order to get followers, to draw disciples after them. I'm going to change the truth, I'm going to twist the truth just enough so people will follow. And so reason number two for false teaching we see in the New Testament is power and influence. Power and influence. You can bring people after you. They will follow you if I teach a false doctrine. 
And I thought, that's crazy. Why would anybody do that? And then I was reminded of a story that happened to me personally where a preacher said, Nate, I don't want to misquote this because I wrote it down. I thought long and hard about this. If you were to lighten up on a few doctrinal beliefs I had, the church would grow. If you were to just lighten up a little bit on a few of your convictions, the church would grow. Translation, more people will follow you if you would stop preaching what the Word says. Influence. If you would just lighten up, more people would fill the pews. Don't think that it's not tempting. I don't want to preach on this subject because if I do, it would offend somebody and then they would leave. We had somebody leave this congregation because a teaching came up that was offensive to them, which is unbelievably clear about a lifestyle within the Bible. And they said, I didn't want to hear it. I don't want to, I don't. It hurts. It hurts too much, so I'm not going to listen to it. So there will be people that will tell you, that's another reason, what you want to hear. You can find it. So number two is power and influence. This third one, I, I can't quite understand. Uh, it seems like, what's that old saying? It's better to... Serve, it's better to, I'd rather, I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven, is what I heard somebody say or write one time. I'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. I thought, well, I don't know if you know what hell's like. I don't know what it's like, but it certainly can't be better than serving in heaven. But one of the third, the third reason for teaching a false, corrupted, untrue, erroneous doctrine is that some people are just flat working for the devil. They're working for the devil. They're working for Satan. The Bible says this. This is not my interpretation. This is not my, I, this is what I believe, this is what I believe, but it's because this is what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is writing about false apostles. And in starting in verse 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 12 says, and what am I doing? I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, the work on the same terms as we do. So he's talking about some false apostles. He's referencing them from an earlier passage. And then he says, for such men, talking about the men he just referenced, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So these people are actually disguising themselves to be a, an apostle of Christ when they're really false apostles, deceitful workmen. And then it says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, Satan's servants, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So the third, and this is baffling to me, that there are actually people that are working for Satan that say, I'm going to disguise myself as an apostle of Christ or a servant of Christ, a servant of righteousness, when deep down they know they're working for the dark side. Third reason, 
People work for the devil. That is the third reason why false teaching exists. Why do people teach false teaching? Money, power, or influence, and they're working for the dark side. Now, the third reason of false doctrine is found in 2 Timothy, but first I want to look back at two passages in the Old Testament and show you that this was going on in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 7, there were false prophets before you, watch out for savage wolves. He's not just referencing Old Testament prophets. He's saying this is going to happen also in the church today. Now, in, we'll start in uh, Jeremiah. We're going to go to Jeremiah and then Isaiah, but there's two, two short passages. In Jeremiah chapter 5, The prophet Jeremiah is talking to the nation of Israel, and he says in Jeremiah 5, oh, I'm sorry, I wanted to be in, yeah, that's the one I want to be in, Jeremiah 5, verse 30. He says, Jeremiah says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, the NIV says the prophets prophesy lies, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so but what will you do when the end comes? The NIV says, the prophets prophesy lies, the priests rule by their own authority, and my people love it this way. The prophets are prophesying lies, and it says, and my people love it. Well, maybe that's just one obscure passage in Jeremiah, but let's go back to Isaiah, go one book back to Isaiah chapter 30, and this is what to me, ties in best to the New Testament teaching in Timothy, but in, in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8, it says, And now, go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the first time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. They're unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. They say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Quit confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Quit confronting us with God. Prophesy lies, prophesy illusions. Get off this path. Leave this way. Stop confronting us with God. We don't want to hear it anymore. Teach us lies. Tell us lies. You're like, Israel, they're so... Why would they do that? That doesn't make sense why the nation of Israel would actually ask the prophets to lie to them. When somebody says, you want me to be honest with you? No. Lie to me. Can I be honest with you? Uh, no, just, just lie to me. Nobody wants... Like, tell me the truth. I want to know the truth. And the truth will set you free, right? I want to know the truth. Don't lie to me. So that's Old Testament. But in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy, we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he's encouraging Timothy to teach truth, to preach the word. But then he says, For the time is coming 
when people will not endure sound teaching. They won't endure it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Listen to that again. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Quit confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. That's what they said in the Old Testament. That's what the prophets said in the Old Testament. And that's what Paul said is going to happen in the New Testament. People will surround themselves that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. I want you to tell me pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. People, I was listening to a sermon on this one time, and I was like, man, those people, I feel so bad for them. They're sucked into this false teaching. And the preacher in this podcast I was listening to said, those preachers that are preaching false doctrine are judgment on the people listening. Because they don't want truth. And we see that in 2 Thessalonians. It says they perish because they refused to love the truth. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom here. I'm just telling you, when Jesus warns us against false prophets, the New Testament and 88% of the New Testament books warn us against it. And the only way to know if it's, it's me or the guy down the street or the guy across the street is what does the written word say? Like, it is a heart issue. Like, if I want to find somebody that's going to that's gonna line up with my teaching, and this is what I believe, and I don't want to be challenged, I can find 50 churches in Colorado that are going to tell me exactly what I want to hear, even if it's wrong with Scripture. I think I mentioned it the other day. This guy's charging $175 or $125 to... Tell you what you want to hear? <laughs> it's like, man, that's steep. Because people want to be told lies. That's fourth teaching. So we have money, power, and influence working for Satan, and people want to be told lies. The fifth and final reason why false teaching exists is the most common, I believe. Because I don't believe every preacher out there that's preaching an erroneous doctrine is doing it for money. I believe their heart genuinely wants to preach truth. I don't believe they all are working for the devil. I think a, a small percentage. This is just my assessment. I can't book chapter verse it. I'm just saying you that, telling you I don't think that, saying you, I'm just telling you I don't think that that's common. I don't think that a lot of people want power and influence. I know some do, but I don't think it's a majority. I think the majority a false teaching comes because of ignorance and misinterpretation. I think we see that in Scripture. In 2 Peter chapter 3, if you flip over a couple pages or books from 1 to 2 Timothy, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, therefore, in verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found. And what he's waiting for is when the, the day that God's going to come back. Jesus, the Lord's going to return. 
Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. So Paul's letters, Paul wrote half the New Testament, and in a couple of different versions of the Bible, they're equating, and and I believe this is too, they're equating the Old Testament scriptures with Paul's letters, and he says he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. That's referencing Old Testament passages. So there are some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. I cannot tell you how many people I have studied with that you present new information and they scratch their head and go, I've never seen that before. I've never been taught that before. I had no clue. And they just accept it like that, like a, just like the most faithful, trusting child of the Word of God possible. It's just they've been taught for so long an incorrect doctrine. And oftentimes that incorrect doctrine just goes from one generation to the next. It's not evil. It's just ignorance. And ignorance is not a bad word. It just means lacking knowledge. That's it. They're lacking knowledge. And I think it's our job as Christians to study the Word, understand the Word, discern truth from false, be able to look at what's being taught and go, that doesn't line up with Scripture. I could go on for 30 minutes, more minutes of situations where my wife and I are sitting in the pew and we hear something said and she'll lean over to me or I'll lean over to her and say, that's not what it says. And then have a polite, pleasant conversation afterwards and saying, hey, I've got a little bit different take on that scripture. Oh, man, I never saw it like that. Oh, well, let's study it out. Read it, read about it. It wasn't done out of malice. It wasn't done out of evil. It was done because there was just a misunderstanding of the written word. So the bottom line is on these five reasons why people teach false doctrine and the fact that Jesus warns against it. The bottom line is that Jesus loves us. (laughs) He loves us so much. He is concerned about our eternity to the point where he died on a cross. To the point where he spoke and, and, and taught and met with his disciples his apostles and his disciples, and he warned, and he said, watch out, watch out, watch out, be careful. By the way, when my Holy Spirit comes and it guides Paul through his letters, and it guides Peter through his letters, and it guides John, and it guides Luke, I'm going to have them put in the writings that I'm going to guide them through the Holy Spirit to watch out for deception, watch out for deceit, watch out for lies, watch out for false doctrine. By the way, I'm going to tell Paul, when you're going to become an elder, you better make sure that you understand the difference between truth and false so that you can refute those who are opposing true doctrine. It needs to be uncorrupted in the church. This is, this is throughout the New Testament. It's throughout the Old Testament, and it's prevalent in the New Testament. And God cares so much for our salvation that he warns us over and over again. 
So I have never once said, don't challenge me. Don't question me. I've never once said that and been serious. I've said it in jest, but I've never been serious. I want you to question me. I want you to go, well, hold on a second. I don't, what do you believe about this? Because who knows, in six months, six days, six hours, or six years, I may go, I just learned something new from the Word of God, and now I am a more accurate teacher. I understand the Word better. Now I can please my Savior even more. Now I can glorify God even more with the Word of God, with teaching. So I caution, brothers and sisters, I'll, we'll move past. I think Brian next week is going to talk about the fruits um, of the prophets and recognizing them by their fruit and the good tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Brian's going to handle that next week. Is that correct, brother? Um, but I, I, I challenge you, I challenge you, and I, I just encourage you to get in this word. When you study doctrines, study and understand what the teachings are of a church body or a statement of faith so you can understand, does it line up with this? Because you can find people that align up with whatever you believe. You, there's enough churches out there, you can find it. But this is what matters. So, all right. That's all I have uh, for this morning. God bless you guys. Happy birthday to the birthday people you guys sung. And uh, Dan, you're, you're up. <laughs>